Most people would seem to agree that we live in a selfish world. In the words of Richard Dawkins, the selfish gene, our very gene, is about preserving itself, survival of the fittest. Which, of course, has far-reaching implications. But is that really true? In this program, we're going to discover that actually developments in physics in the last century prove the exact opposite. And indeed, it really reveals something that was known thousands of years and celebrated in the holiday of Hanukkah. So I am pleased to present to you the physics of Hanukkah light, learning how to shine. Happy Hanukkah to you all. Happy holiday, holiday of lights. This is Simon Jacobson here, and I am pleased to present to you a special program called The Physics of Hanukkah Light, Learning How to Shine. This program is dedicated by Lena Racklin in honor of my mom who introduced me to MLC. Thank you for the wisdom and inspiration to live my best life. Most people would seem to agree in our times that we live in a selfish world, which means every organism, every entity, every part of existence is all about preserving itself. Survival of the fittest, some call it. Richard Dawkins popularized it in a book called The Selfish Gene, that the very gene not acquired, inherent to nature. The very gene is selfish. Whatever it does is about its own preservation and growth. And even when it's altruistic, even when it's giving, even when it's selfless, it's also selfish because it helps the organism grow and survive. And this, of course, has far-reaching implications because it essentially says that at heart we are each self-oriented people, self-interest is the number one driving force, which of course was confirmed in Freudian psychology. So what we like to call the Darwinian Freudian model, some call it social Darwinism, an element of that society is really a bunch of individuals of each one focused on themselves. But because we understand for coexistence and for our own survival, it's necessary to be able to cooperate, and we, should, and we actually benefit from it. So we've created red lights and green lights to just create a, uh, that we don't all just dog eats dog and we all just kill each other. But still, it all driven by the selfish gene. Now, many people would say, you know, I feel that way. I may not advertise it. I may not be proud of it. Some people actually do advertise it. But some people would say, I'm not proud of it. But at the end of the day, yes, I, it's about me. And even those that I love are an extension of me. So I'll protect them, I'll be giving. But, then the, but we are all fundamentally 
driven by the selfish needs of survival, and hence survival of the fittest, a very much part of modern evolutionary biological theory, some call it beyond theory. And this isn't only true for the human species, it's for all species. And again, cooperation is an extension of that. Well, in honor of Hanukkah, which is, of course, the celebration of light, Hanukkah light, I would like to introduce you something to a surprising perspective, which isn't only coming from a place of faith, Hanukkah holiday, but actually is now part and parcel of the very essence of modern physics, physics, science. In the last hundred years or so, a little more than a hundred years, the discovery of light as a true force in in nature. So light was always discussed. There were photons back in the 19th century and even earlier than that. But it became a full science, especially in the beginning of the 20th century. Light, first with Einstein and later with quantum mechanics. Understanding light with all its paradoxes. Now, we've always experienced light, of course. Sunlight, candlelight, daylight. We need light to be able to be able to see and perceive and distinguish between things. We need light also for other properties that it offers us. But what was fascinating in his discoveries in physics is that light is actually a paradox. Because on one hand, it was studied and seemed to be discovered that what light is a wave. And then others saw light as a particle. And the wave and a particle are not just two different words. They're very different phenomena. A particle is a localized entity, a particle. A wave is a field of energy. Especially in quantum mechanics, in the discussions of uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, it also is used as a concept where we don't know whether light is a wave or a particle until an observer measures it. And one observation may yield the result that it's a wave and others that as a particle. And they had different tests to demonstrate that. We don't need to go into the details. You can look it up. So what exactly is light in that sense? Einstein's famous theory, E equals mc squared, which is that energy equals matter with the speed of light squared, introduced a whole other dimension to it all. That light is actually the edge of existence itself. Nothing can be faster than the speed of light. So light was not just illuminating the earth, sunlight, or other forms of light. It became energy and understanding of the very forces that drive and define existence. But here's the most powerful aspect here. And until basically the 20th century, it was not really known by scientists. It was known by mystics that light is the ultimate metaphor used in describing the energy of creation itself. The Kabbalists and the mystics use light as a metaphor. Now why? Because light is indeed a paradox. Does it exist or does it not exist? Now when I say it does not exist, it doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not there. But look at, let's look at light. It actually defies the very nature of what I described, that existentialism itself tells us 
that every organism and every entity is subject to. And that is that there's a self. A sense of self. What about light? Does it have a sense of self? On one hand, light exists. The sun is hundreds of thousands of miles away. Or more than that. And the light of the sun is what brings sunlight to this earth. It takes a little more than eight minutes to travel with the speed of light. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when we think of it that way, there is definitely the existence of light. But take away the source, take away the sun, and the light disappears. When the sun sets, no light remains. Everything moves on. In other words, light is an entity that exists, but it does not exist as a separate entity without being a reflection of its source. And this is what the Kabbalists, the mystics explain, is essentially why light is such a powerful metaphor. Because it teaches us that something can exist and it's not about itself. It's not the selfish gene. It's about something greater than itself. Now, this may sound somewhat esoteric, not scientific, but that's not the case. Because now that we know that light before it's measured, can be a wave and a particle, which of course reflects the, the, that paradox itself, that means that light is more than just a regular entity. You don't say that, let's say, a particle of dust is a wave or a particle. It's a particle of dust. A piece of wood is a piece of wood. It's determinist, determined. It's subject to determinism. Is light subject to determinism? Only after it's measured. So even physics today understands that light is an ethereal and a far more subtle entity, which indeed we see. And no one can deny the fact that light, as much as it contributes, it is not, a, it's not an end in itself. It is reflection, reflecting and expressing something beyond itself. So now let's put these two side-by-side -side perspectives on life. One perspective on life is it's all about me, me, me. The selfish gene. But since the me needs to survive, it may need to be complemented and supported by others, so we cooperate with each other because it's good for the selfish gene. And when it's not, we actually can turn on each other. And hence, we find the battles, the wars that are fought in many different areas of life, everyone fighting for those rare resources that everybody wants to have, the dominance, dominance, once we, every, four, every life form wants to perpetuate itself. But then there's another side to each one of us. We'll call it the noble side, the transcendent side, where there's something about us feeling a sense of belonging when you feel you're a seamless channel for something greater than yourself. They call it being in the zone. You hear it from actors, you hear it from musicians, you hear it from artists. And obviously you hear it from spiritual mystics as well. That you are so invisible that something is just channeling through you. You're not conscious of yourself. And when people reach that level, they feel most complete. Now how does that jive with the first aspect of us being selfish entities? Where we sense a self, it's all about me, and so on. It comes to tell you that there may be another aspect to nature itself. And that is that we are at our best and our happiest when we're not focusing on our own needs. When we are channeling and we are expressing something greater than ourselves. 
And this has also become common language. Even in business, they talk about writing a mission statement for a business. They always say that the mission statement is not about the company surviving or making money or filling its own needs. It's about serving the people. Offer a service, fill a need that others have, and you will be valued. Now, I understand some business people and commercial approach to that would be, okay, because that's the only way to sell something. Why would someone buy, give out their hard-earned money and buy something from you unless you have something to serve them? So you could say, again, it's a selfish thing. The only way for you to get their money is by giving them something of value to them. But nevertheless, there's something that resonates with us. When you hear about a mother spending all night with a child that's sick, God forbid, and she's not thinking whether, oh, is, will I be tired the next day? Will I be able to go to work? Will I be able to take care of my own needs? We all feel a certain sense of, what's the word I want to use, contentment, a certain sense of resonance. Something true about that. Do we always live up to that? No, it's, easy to be, it's much easier to be selfish than to be selfless. But there's something about it, that element of unconditional love that parents should be giving their children that we should be giving each other. Not based on my particular need, but based on something greater. There's something about it. And I go back to the, even the artist, the selfish artist, that uh, stereotype. The fact of the matter is that excellence is a form of challenge, channeling a higher truth. I speak for myself right now. When you're in that mode where you feel you don't feel yourself, but you feel something coming through you, there's no words to describe the, the satisfaction of that. And now you don't do it for that goal, because that too can be a selfish goal. It's something about it that you realize that that's an element of consciousness and self-consciousness is actually not our most natural state. I know it sounds counterintuitive because people say, one second, being conscious, being aware, being self-conscious is healthy. Those people that are not conscious of themselves, they are, you know, they are like fools. No, but there's a third state. There's not being conscious where you're basically, uh, basically clueless or ignorant is one thing, or foolish or immature. Then there's a state where you're very conscious of yourself, of your presence, of how others see you, what you're projecting, your status. But then there's a third state where you are so immersed in the goodness and the righteousness of whatever it is that you're doing, that you don't need to be conscious of it. It's just happening. It's a state of being, not an experience. And when you talk about the most real things in life, and that includes love, truth, soul, All those experiences are not commodities that you just go out and purchase. They're not particles. They're more states of being. And as such, they are experienced through allowing it to emerge. It emerges through us. It's channeled through us. When you're in that place, what happens is subject and object all melt into one. So when you think about light in that sense, light, therefore, becomes a tremendous, not just a metaphor, it's actually a teacher, a guide, that teaches us about another type of reality. A reality that we are here to be forces, to be 
ambassadors, and channelers of higher truths. Each one of us in our own unique way. You tell me, would you prefer that or would you prefer just me, me, me? Because remember, me, 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 even though at the moment it may feel comfortable and secure, but it only lasts as long as the me is, the, the me is there. Whereas when you are a channeler, when you are a channel of something greater than you are, and that something greater is immortal or eternal, then you become an extension of that eternity. It's a whole different reality. Very different perspective on life. So it's interesting that we have both properties. We have both elements, both choices, if you wish. The choice of survival of your own self and your needs, or being the, a light which is a channeler of a higher reality onto others. That whoever you meet and whoever you can counter, you are shining, you are glowing, you're illuminating. Because that's the ultimate difference. When something is in a state of taking, absorbing, about me, 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 you're not shining outward. Your greatest strengths don't shine. What's happening is, is you're hoarding, you're collecting, you're gathering. When you're in a state of a channel to something greater, you become a light. So the secret to light itself is that selflessness. Because you can't illuminate others if it's all about you. When a teacher is teaching students, or a parent is extending kindness to a child, or two people who love each other love each other in that profound way, What's going on is that it's not about me. That's why you are able to give. That's why you shine. If you get in the way, you will not be a transparent channel. So the very reality of light, being an illuminator, being something that warms others, is antithetical to the concept of me, me, me. That's not light. That's a different type of reality. What the Kabbalists and the mystics call it, and the Hasidic masters call it, there's a word for it. It's called yesh. Y-E-S-H. What's a yesh? Means a yesh means it's defined by itself and in its own parameters. I'm sitting in this chair right now. No one else can sit in this chair while I'm here. I'd have to get out of the chair to leave room for another. If I share with you a piece of my bread, some of my food, then I have less. If I give charity, I have less money. That's in the world of yesh. That's in the world, we'll call it a world of substance. It's about self. In a world of beyond self, the world of light, it's the exact opposite. The more you give, the more you become. Giving, yes, you may have less materially, but you have that whole dimension of quality. You have become a giver. You're giving off light. And we know when light spreads, like the butterfly effect, it spreads without limits. One light illuminates another, 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 ad infinitum. And the same thing warming others. So the interesting irony is that when you get the self out of the way, you become the greatest possible self. Not as a self, as a selfish self, as a selfless self. The self is, is perpetuating itself, but in a very interesting way, not through me, 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 but through giving to others. So light is that exact paradox. On one hand it exists, on the other hand it's reflecting a source, 
and if in and its transparency doesn't allow its ego to be in the way, and therefore it illuminates everything that it comes in contact with. So think of it this way, just as an example. Someone chooses you and says, I'd like you to, I'd like to hire you, be my messenger. I want you bring to bring a gift to someone I love. They live a few thousand miles away. Okay, fine, very nice. But you have your own agenda. You may be paid for it, which is great. But let's say you have your own agenda and you decide, you know what, let me check out what this gift is like. Say, so you know what, maybe I don't have to deliver it or I'll deliver it in a certain way that I can benefit from it and I won't give that, the, the recipient, the beneficiary, the entire thing or in some, a some distorted version of it. You obviously are doing something besides unethical. You're getting yourself in the way. You, you're only here to transmit, to deliver. So think of it then now in the context of our lives. I'll use parents or, or teachers as an example. You're given a gift, children. You're given the gift not for you to own them and for you to control them, but for you to be a transparent channel of love, to teach them what it means to be a good, healthy human being. Same thing with a teacher. That giving act is not about you. If you bring yourself into the picture, what happens? When parents begin to project their attitudes and their dysfunctionalities onto their children, they're no longer a transparent source of life and love and giving and nurturing and validation and reinforcement, they have inserted themselves into the equation. And as such, will distort the picture. And they won't be transparent transmitters of light. So we are meant to be walking menorahs, wherever we go and whoever we meet, to be give off light, to illuminate that person, to inspire them. Ask yourself, are you that type of person? When people come in your presence or you come in their presence, do they leave empowered? Do they leave uplifted, illuminated, clearer, more clarity, more inspired? Or do they feel drained? Or do they just feel neutral? Now, you may not know the answer to this question. You may have to ask people because you may think I'm God's gift and whatever I do is bringing people strength. Not necessarily the case. Not that you can be that way, but you need to be honest and brutally honest. Are you in that type of place? Are you in that position or not? So today is a holiday, which is really universal throughout the year, but today we emphasize it. Are you that walking, talking personification of light, which requires two elements, your selfless so you channel something greater than yourself. And the other side, the result on the other end is you become an illuminator. You become a clarifier, an inspiration, a force that empowers and emboldens people with courage, with hope, with strength. So you say, one second, what happens with my ego in this whole process? What happens with this yesh? Does it get annihilated? Does it get destroyed? Obviously not. It becomes actually the greatest it can become because it's achieving the ultimate goal of being able to bring higher truths and higher realities through your yesh, through your being, through your substance, through your self to others. What greater gift 
what greater act in life than being able to be such a channel? Now, I don't know if the physicists and the scientists of our time have yet discovered this implication or this aspect of what light is all about. I've spoken about it at certain conferences, science conference, shared with it with some colleagues, and it's always I always see the reaction. I would never have thought of it that way. Because science itself has not yet come to the point where everything you study is also personalized. As a matter of fact, some scientists think that personalizing brings in subjectivity and therefore I cease to be that objective scientist. But that's not true. Because that choice is also a subjective choice. The true seamlessness of knowledge is when knowledge becomes one with you. That's exactly what light is all about. If you're a scientist or a thinker, where you know about ideas, but you're not a transparent channel of those ideas, doesn't that sound like something's missing? Now, most scientists will say, well, that's never an aspiration. We were never asked to be that. Bertrand Russell put it so well. He once behaved unethically with some student in the Cambridge, wherever the university was. And the ethics committee of the university called him in, summoned him and said, you're a professor of ethics. How could you behave such an immoral manner? And his classic answer, his answer was brilliant. To some extent brilliant, as you'll see. His answer is, I also teach mathematics, and I'm not a triangle. What is he saying? You don't have to be what you teach, and you don't have to teach what you are. It's a science. It's detached. That is classic yesh. The knowledge can be correct, you may be brilliant, but is a, there's a dissonance. There is not that transparent channel of what light is all about. Light does not speak that way. That's how a yesh speaks. That's how a ego speaks. That's how a thing of substance that's self-aware of its own value speaks. How does light speak? Light's answer would have been very different than Bertrand Russell's. A light would say, figuratively speaking, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. If my behavior is not consistent with my teaching, something's wrong. I'm not serving my role. So light would say, wouldn't even have to answer itself because it would never, obviously, not, uh, it would nev never um, uh, be hip uh, hypocritical and inconsistent with that dissonance. I am expressing that truth and I live by that truth. That's what I am. And as such, what happens? It illuminates. When a student sees a teacher who lives up to what they're teaching, that you are what you teach and you teach what you are, what do you think? That also is a lesson in life. And if they see a teacher the opposite, what does that teach them? You don't have to do what you learn. It may all sound good on paper, may be good for others, but you, it's about me. It's not about the truth of the idea. So are you a carrier of truth? Or are you just a, um, uh, a delivery man? That's delivering it, but you have nothing to do with it. So ultimately, the way Maimonides puts it, in stark contrast to Bertrand Russell, he lived much, many more years before Russell did, that if you want to know who's the wise person, you don't look at their brilliance, you don't look at their scholarship, their oratory skills, you look at how they walk, how they talk, how they run their business, how they sleep, how they eat, how they drink, how they treat others. You could say, what's... The connection. I have a brilliant mind, so maybe I'd be, maybe obnoxious 
or I may not know how to, to, to treat, not, I don't behave in a refined way. No, because then it's not real truth, then it's your truth. It's coming diluted through your experience. Can I really trust someone who's, who the truth they teach is not something that's permeated them through and through? Now, this doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but we should aspire to it. Bertrand's Russell, when I heard the first heard the story, what bothered me was most, was not the actual response, was that he felt that it was fine. If he had said, listen, we're inconsistent human beings, we don't always live up to our truths that we believe in. Fine. Of course that's true. That itself is honest. But to say, I, can, I don't have to be a triangle, I don't have to be ethical, it's like almost turning it into a philosophy that I and the teachings, I and the truth that I'm conveying don't have to be consistent. Now why would I trust that? Just because you're smarter than I am? I always point that out. I'm not sure who coined this line, but I really like this line. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what light does. That's the power of light. It takes the ego and suspends it. Not telling you to destroy it. We're not annihilating it. We're channeling it. We're harnessing it is even a better word. We're harnessing it to our higher ends. It's a beautiful concept. So though physics in the last 100, 120 years has definitely made big strides and great breakthroughs that are affecting technology, but it's still technology. What we need is the final frontier is that the insights that light provides us actually becomes a living example for what we should be. We should be channels of light. They're looking for their superconductivity. There should be no resistance between the energy and matter. It begins with ourselves. That the energy that flows through you, through your matter, that your matter becomes so transparent that they are seamless. There is no tension between the two, which is, of course, the secret to all health. Someone asks you, what does health feel like? If they answer what it feels like, there's a problem. Health feels, doesn't feel like anything. The life force within you, the blood that flows through you, Everything that defines who you are is just smoothly, seamlessly flowing. You don't even feel it. That's a perfect example of matter and energy fusing as one. And the same thing with light. We, as children, when we're born, the light shines through our faces. Let's look at a child's face. Just look at that innocence. Yes, of course there's skin. There's a body. There's limbs. There's bones. There's... uh, all the other layers, but there's some type of radiance that touches us, a purity, an innocence. And then what happens is, as life takes on, as the toxins begin to enter, as life takes over, there becomes a certain separation between what the mystics call the light, the energy, and the container, matter and energy, the yesh and the oir in the Hebrew words, the light or the energy and its container, the way it's expressing itself. The face is no longer as transparent. And other things become more impediments. Not Maybe not completely, but it, it doesn't have that seamlessness. So our search for truth, our search for anything that's really worth living for, is really our search for becoming walking light. So though we don't necessarily only are, we're not bodies of light, we begin having an ego, and we have a selfish gene, many selfish genes, and we have our self-interests, 
But the goal is to turn that into like a wick to a flame, to turn that into light. So the mystics explain light is an, an entity, a conceptual entity that exists. The yesh, meaning the substance of our egos and our beings, sense of self, is who we are. The turn, the turn the latter into the former is the key. Where you become that in the zone, channel of those deeper and higher truths. So Hanukkah and its light has for us a tremendous message. Besides all the details and many things we can learn from the different aspects of light and so on, that very name word light teaches us something. It teaches us that the world is not about quantity but about quality. It's not about the substance, it's about what light it gives off. When you think of life in that way, things change dramatically. We're not material beings here and there having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual light tra- traveling through a physical realm. It's a, phys- it's a stage in our lives, this physical world, our bodies in this physical world. And the wise ones take the lesson to heart. And what do we do? We look at our lives and say, okay, what can I do to make my life more of a transparent one? One that people look at me, come, experience me, they experience something greater than I am. Now, none of us can say to cold turkey, change our lives from one extreme to the next, but we can begin. It comes down to the things we do, how we behave. So I'm not suggesting we should suddenly give up all our interests and all our self-interests. I'm suggesting start introducing this message in your life. Start introducing and starting to identify the light of your own soul. Take a piece of paper and write down three suggestions that you can come up with how you can do that. I'll, I'll start you off. One is that today, besides other things I'll be doing for myself, I'm going to reach out to a few people and I'm going to shine. Yes, I will shine. And not in the way I'm going to to prove a point or to, uh, in a condescending way or an arrogant way. You just, you just allow yourself and your strengths to bring strength to another person. That's one. You come up with a few others. Act on it. You, no doubt in my mind, and you can share that with me if you like, you will feel very different. People often wonder and they say, what can I do to get out of a despondent state of mind feeling depressed, frustrated, look at this COVID, the resurgence of it, and the different impacts that it may have in our lives. And most people think, okay, the answer is going to come from some magical pill or something, magic pill. You know, if good things happen to me, I'll be able to be in a better mood. And I would like to submit the opposite. Do good things, become a light, and light will become you. In other words, initiate don't just talk about the negative. And when you do that, your attitude changes. Your attitude changes from me to you. Your attitude changes from taker to giver. Your attitude changes from substance, yes, to air, to illuminating. It's not, it sometimes can be quite disconcerting when you discover, if you do discover, that some people avoid you. Some people may not want to be around you because they feel that you drain, you don't give. 
Not because they're necessarily selfish, but they don't feel light coming through you. Think about it. And you will change your entire attitude. And I'll tell you something more. You have within yourself plenty of resources to shine, to glow, to illuminate, to radiate. So it's not just what you do for others. It's really actualizing what you're capable of giving. I often meet people and they feel they have nothing to give. They say to me, I, I don't know what to give. I don't know what to contribute. I don't know what people will value. And they underestimate their own inner strengths. And I say to them, you know, you have a soul. The soul is called the flame of God. It says is the soul of a human being. A flame, a light. That soul of yours is a light. That's exactly what it is. But it could be trapped. Like light can be buried under many, many layers like a pilot flame. So let's fan your soul. How do you fan the soul? By letting itself express itself. And it expresses itself through love, through giving, through study, through prayer. There are many ways for your soul to get activated. And when it does, it becomes a tremendous giver. To the point that we will, you yourself will be surprised how much you're able to give. But, again, habit, routine, patterns, these activities that were fixed in for years can create a certain inertia, can create a certain status quo that's very hard to break out of. When you're used to your modality of taking, of selfish gene, self-oriented instead of cause-oriented or go- higher goal-oriented, it gets, it's very difficult to break out of that. That's what you're accustomed to. That's your go-to uh, uh, drug, if you wish to take care of yourself. That's why it's so important to talk about. That's why we look at the flames and we're told, listen to the flames. Listen to the story they tell you. Flame is a very silent speaker. Flames don't make a lot of noise. If they do, there's a certain seamlessness as well. It means the wick or the piece of wood is not fully, fully refined enough to channel that light. But flames are quiet speakers. But what they say says volumes. The loudest message you'll ever hear is the subtle voice of the flame telling you, are you being a light unto others? Are you allowing your inner light to express itself to others? Because we all have unique light, unique and indispensable light. Yes, there are things that we have in common that we all share, the idea that we have light within us, but you have your light, you have your message, your song, and now's the time to sing it. And it's interesting, in the mystical language, mystical literature, there is actually comparisons and parallels between song and light. Light and song. You'll say, what's, what's the connection? Because both of them do the same thing. They focus on, look what is a song. A song is you're taking, whether it's with words or no words, you're creating a melody, a melody that is greater than the one that's singing the melody. When you hear a beautiful song, you yes, you could be admire and you, could, uh, you can marvel at the quality of the singer or the musician or the instrument. But what are they really doing? They're conveying a song, a language, the language of the soul that lifts your spirits, that transports you to another time and place. So song is another example of light. When you sing someone a song and you lift and you do affect them in that way, you're illuminating them. You're warming their heart. We live in a world that has become so materialistic, so much focus on me, 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 
commodity, negotiation, trade. Everything is about acquisitions, how much I own. We need to begin to celebrate light. And that's what Hanukkah is about. It's here thousands of years with us. Thousands of years. Physics is beginning to catch up. It still has not personalized it, as I mentioned. But the concepts are beginning to become more popular. So it's no surprise that the physics of light have also transformed our world. A world that was so divided time and space, time and space is slowly melting away. I could be speaking to you thousands of miles away, and you hear me, and we can communicate an idea anytime, anywhere, any piece of information accessible right now. Who would have believed? But that melting away of what? You're melting away the yesh. The yesh is defined, the substance of existence, the ego of existence is defined by parameters. Time, space, yesterday, today, tomorrow, past, present, future. Parameters of time, past, present, future. Parameters of space. East, west, north, south, up, down, miles away, millions of miles away. When we tap into the forces of light in the inner subatomic particles of the photons and deeper than that, we suddenly can transcend these divisions. What you're saying, what we're saying is that we're actually melting down and refining and seeing the ethereal and on ethereal level, the speed of light suddenly transcends all the differences of time and space. So the world in which we live as technology is so dominant is actually teaching us exactly that. What's lacking is the final frontier, personal application. These technologies are very useful. We're using them for our own entertainment, for business, for personal pleasure, for social connection, for just research, whatever it may be. But the final, final awareness is when we come to discover that these are all channels of light. And then forget the, the, never forget the message. It's all about you. Are you going to use these tools and instruments? Are you yourself going to be a, an instrument, a channeler of light, a receptor, and at the same time a transmitter? Because if you think of all technology, that's what it is, all the interfaces. They're basically channeling energy. Almost instantaneously, as I said, everywhere, anytime, any piece of information. So light becomes then a, an example, a metaphor of actually the seamlessness where matter becomes simply, simply a channeler of a deeper truth, a deeper energy. That's where we're at. So Hanukkah has always been teaching this message, but now we can appreciate it even on a scientific level. So now our next step here as we move from the year 2020, coming closer to 2021, after a pandemic well, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, from a pandemic, we have many challenges. But be that shining light. Be that shining light to yourself, to your family, to your community, your people, your nation. And may that light, like all light, light does not have boundaries. If you, unless, if you don't put an impediment in the way, the light will continue to shine, continue to spark, ignite, one flame after another flame after another flame. That's its ultimate power. When the yesh, the yesh is not interesting in, interested in generating another yesh. 
It's taking care of its own needs. It may need that other yesh, that other existence for itself, but light, on the other hand, is enriched. They light a flame and a flame. So each of us is a burning flame. Some of us brighter than others. And it's our job, our role, our mission, our gift, our responsibility to be that seamless channel, be that shining light. This has been Simon Jacobson speaking about the physics of Hanukkah light, learning how to shine. Go to MeaningfulLife.com. That's our home base. You can access this program, many other programs, full schedule of events. Please take advantage. Please share. Please comment. Let us be light to each other, illuminating different facets that each of us bring to the table. And be blessed. Be a true light to yourself and to everyone around you. A true light of warmth and of inspiration and of illumination. Thank you. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.